Please do not message or call, as the following program is a rerun of a previous live show. Any announcements made during the repeat may now not be applicable. Any health advice given, whether general, diet, physical or spiritual, is general only and must be verified by your doctor. If you need medical advice, please consult a doctor. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the health and fitness show on Inspire FM. This is a live show happening today on Thursday the 16th of February 2023 and for the next hour we'll be focusing on topics related to health and fitness so we would love to hear from you. We are broadcasting live on 105.1 FM here in Luton in the studio, uh, but you can also listen back to the show later on on the Inspire FM YouTube and Instagram page, as well as the Facebook Live page, and it'll have all the links of where else you can listen to us as well. I'm Dr. Amna. I'm a GP living and working here in Luton. And um, we're here today with two very special um, guests that have been on the show um, today that are familiar to a lot of the community in Luton, Yasmin and Kurum, who were Amani's parents. Um, So thank you for joining us, but also two um, of our medical colleagues, very distinguished, who have come, um, who were involved um, in Amani's care, Dr. Anup Vinyan and Professor Paneet Plaha, and I will get them to introduce themselves in a second. Now, today we're going to be talking all about brain cancers, brain tumours and specifically glioblastoma and that's something that's been in the media a lot, not just um, because of many, and that's something that's very close to our hearts here in Luton but also um, various different celebrities across the country and also if you've been following the EastEnders storyline uh, Lola Pierce as well has also been recently diagnosed with that same illness so there's a lot of fear um, around in our communities and a lot of questions that people can be having Um, so if you would like to get in touch please do contact us either through the facebook page the um, instagram page so at inspire um, fm or at dr amna gp or you can always as usual um, text us on the usual number as well so i would like to welcome our guests today thank you all so much for joining us thank you thank you um i think we'll start uh yasmin and amani uh uh, sorry (laughs) yasmin and karam um i know you've been on the show a couple um you know a couple of times before um welcome and thank you assalamu alaikum Thank you. Um, and we've got Dr. Anup Vinyan, who is a clinical, a consultant clinical oncologist who was involved um, in Amani's care. Yes, and yeah, thank, thank you for inviting us. And, you know, it's practically been an, I would say, an honour to treat and inspire, you know, such an inspiring young woman mm. in the family who is actually trying to keep her flame alive. And thank you for inviting yeah. us. Thank you. Thank you for coming all this way. And um, Professor Panit Plaha as well, who is a consultant neuro-oncologist, oncology surgeon. Yes, no, thank you for the invite. (laughs) Uh, Very nice to be here and, and, you know, try and share some of our ideas and knowledge and then Mm. answer questions from the community. So very privileged to be here. Thank you again. And again, thank you to Kuram and Yasmin as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I think let's start with um, you guys about a little bit about your journey. I know it's coming up to a year since um, Amani passed away. And, you know, looking back, can you tell us a little bit about how you came to know um, the two doctors we have here? Um, well, as soon as Rani was um, diagnosed, it was mm. during the pandemic. <coughs> um, and then quite quickly we were just um, given, um, it, we were. Uh, um, Amani was under um, Dr. Anoop's mm-hmm. um, care 
Um, so and then you were basically treated money right through to, to the end as well. Mm. Um, and then with um, Professor Plaha, um, that was just towards the end when mm. we needed um, money, um, ne- needed um, a shunt operation. Okay. Um, we uh, we were told that she couldn't have a shunt operation, but we wanted to check and have a second referral. Okay. Um, and we actually went to Professor um, Panit mm-hmm. and. Um, he performed the, the surgery, which um, you know, thankfully, you know, gave Marnie a good couple of extra months, which yeah. we'll be forever grateful for. Alhamdulillah. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I think I think you summarised <laughs> it well. Yeah. <laughs> so I think um, if if I take you guys back just a little bit um, further, because as a GP, kind of brain cancer, you know, a brain tumour, missing that is one of the things that kind of really scares me the most. Um, And I think scares, you know, a lot of parents about what things they should be looking out for or what symptoms um, can happen. So maybe if you can start by telling us what symptoms you you tend to see. So um, thank you for that. Because, and again, first and foremost thing, you know, what you say is that brain cancers are usually a, you know, cancers that we see in people with older age. So it's more mm-hmm. seen in people in their 60s and 70s mm-hmm. rather than actually people in their 20s and 30s. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the symptoms that they come up with can be varied based mm-hmm. on the position of where the tumour is in their mm-hmm. brain. But commonly, we would, you know, patients could have ongoing headaches but you know patients having you know if you have a headache on one day it doesn't mean yeah. that they've got a brain tumor yeah. and you know so that's not like a constant headaches that patients have which is uh, which no other reason has been diagnosed for especially early morning headaches mm-hmm. uh, and those kind of things is something to be you know looked into mm-hmm. people having seizures uh, persons mm-hmm. patients have seizures personality changes that's happening so, so uh, you know memory problems but all those kind of things can be so these are kind of generic symptoms that we have but when we can't find another reason for it obviously we should be thinking as mm. GPs and as clinicians it's our responsibility to think about other options other, mm. other reasons for this mm-hmm. uh, you know for these symptoms and I think uh, that's and it's, it's very important for for public to be not to be worried, saying yeah. that any time you have a headache, that mm. does not mean that you've got a brain tumor. That's mm. that's quite important to, to think about it that way. It, it's in a way honest is on us as well as clinicians to think about those differentials and uh, you know and, and refer the patient appropriately. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what can mm. you expect if you are coming to see a doctor about and you know your concern is the fact that you know you might have a brain tumor or your child may may have a brain tumor because i think sometimes the expectation with a lot of patients that i see are well you know i've had this headache like you say for a day or so um and therefore i want to scan is that would that be usual practice i think the one thing we must remove is the fear that a headache means a brain tumor yeah if i put things in perspective we are a population of almost 70 million mm-hmm we diagnose about 5,000 brain cancers every year. Mm. So a relatively small proportion. Mm. If you look at headaches as a symptom, mm-hmm. the number of people who would have brain tumor is very small. Mm. So, so every headache is not a brain tumor for sure. Yeah. I think where GPs would be vigilant is mm. somebody comes back with recurrent symptoms mm-hmm. with more than one visit mm-hmm. or have other neurological symptoms. What I mean by that is a weakness or speech problems or memory then I think to make a referral on to a clinician at tertiary center would be appropriate. And I think most now would do a scan because mm-hmm. MRI and scans are not, uh, you don't, you're not exposed to ra- radiation. Mm-hmm. So I, that's the route I would take, but mm-hmm. not every headache is a brain tumor, yeah. is the message there. And I think to that's take the a, fear out. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really important message, especially at the moment when there is kind of all of this awareness. And obviously we've talked previously about why it's good to have that awareness into the research that's needed and we'll talk a bit later on about kind of treatments and what the future looks like Mm. but that actually not every headache is a brain tumor yeah and do you see that you know I don't know if you have any kind of figures even if they're not kind of official figures um, of how many people you see that then do not have brain tumors I think we probably are the wrong ones to answer because we are Mm. sitting at a tertiary center Mm -hmm. so Every referral which comes to us at a tertiary level has a diagnosis. So, so I, I, I so I'm, we are probably, I'd say to Dr. Anoop as well, not the ones to make that. If somebody doesn't have a brain tumor, they won't come and see us mm. because we are so subspecialized. Yeah. And I think actually that's 
a good point to make that actually you see so few of those people that have the symptoms that you said you know the headaches because they need to have specific features they need to have all of those other things and they would have gone through lots of different levels before they get to that kind of specialist stage and though at that point then it's kind of a confirmed diagnosis correct so we are sitting on the top of this pyramid Mm with brain tumor so there are a number of people at the base of the pyramid have don't have a brain tumor yeah so i think that's the message it's, yeah. a, it's a very very rare condition yeah and it's a very rare cancer mm. i think i 100% agree with you know prof there because uh when we are sitting in our clinic even though it may feel like there is actually a lot of patients coming with brain mm. tumors coming to the clinics but the reality is that uh you know it's a rare tumor Yeah. compared to other cancers which is mm. out there with breast cancer lung cancer you know bowel cancer brain tumors are still very rare to but as uh, you know prof was saying the onus is actually on the clinician to mm. think about those options when mm. a patient comes with these symptoms mm. to uh, and do the appropriate referral mm. and also i think if you have that fear to you know discuss it with your doctor because actually with your gp when you go to see them so that they can they can be able to reassure you that actually these symptoms yeah. don't sound like a brain tumor mm. for these reasons. reasons you know like you said uh you know it's usually an early morning headache that persists that you know keeps coming that's maybe getting worse that has other different um kind of really serious symptoms with it and not just oh well you know towards the end of the day when i haven't had much to drink and i'm really tired and i've not had much sleep that you know i get a headache kind of behind my eyes um and i think that's really important but also i f- i feel like my job as the gp is to recognize and ask that question you know what are you worried about and if you are worried that you might have a brain tumor or you know your child has a brain tumor say that you know don't be afraid to say i am worried about this and this is what i want and then it can be that dialogue yeah another symptom as well is um, um problems with your vision mm. so sometimes as well we can go to your opticians and get, yeah. get that checked as well so yeah. that's another port yeah. call yeah because it's quite difficult to get hold of gps at the moment um not, not having a dig at you but <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what i would, I would suggest I would say is, we're probably not yeah, the best people to um yeah. sort out eye things and yeah. actually if you can um so i think definitely see an optician mm. um they'll be able to check this pressure behind the eye exactly. in fact i remember now yeah. with the mani situation six months before she had a seizure uh-huh. she was compl- she did say to us oh i've got a, i think i've got an eye infection in one of her eyes uh-huh. and she went to the gp because she was a bit older uh-huh. she went herself uh-huh and she didn't have a, her own regular gp because she just moved back from university so she uh-huh. went to the out clinics okay and i remember she saying to us at the time they said oh um, they called another gp in to look at my eye uh, they thought it was a bit strange it was only in one eye the infection oh. and they said oh, if it doesn't clear up after a few days here some drops go to the hospital uh-huh. um so we kept looking at it is it getting better is it getting mm. better and then mm. at the same time but another family friend he'd got a slight eye infection and mm. we thought oh you must have given it to each other yeah and after two weeks strangely enough her eye cleared up so we thought mm-hmm. oh, it must have been an infection mm-hmm. but if what the gps because they don't have that the equipment to do those skills exactly. what they probably should have said to her maybe is why don't you go to an optician where they can look mm-hmm. uh, you get you know, you know an eye appointment very quickly mm-hmm. they'll take a look if you can't go to if you don't want to go to a&e mm-hmm. and the the optician would have picked up a pressure and probably sent her straight mm-hmm. to a&e mm-hmm. And actually that's a really good point to make. So I I do always kind of tell patients that, you know, I only have a little tiny light, handheld light in my room and, you know, of course I will try, but the optician has, you know, a whole mm-hmm. setup, a massive machine, and actually there's a service called Qs, um which I can't for the life of me remember what it stands for, but it's something related to I think it's community urgent eye service that sounds about right uh that is available across Luton that anyone can self refer to so if you just google cues c u e s um eye service uh you can get the number or you can call your um gp surgery the receptionist can give you the number um i think the pharmacists have access to it as well um it's a free oh, it's an 033 number um and you they will speak to you they will find out what your symptoms are and they will get you booked in with an optician um if you have any kind of loss of vision change of vision a red eye any kind of floaters that you can see um 
they can arrange that for you and obviously if there's something that you're saying to them that is much you know sounds like it's much more serious then they can either direct you to the GP or even to the A&E um, clinic so that I think that's a really good point about kind of things to watch out for and what we can be doing for ourselves and also for our families if um, symptoms happen. Okay, so um, we've talked a little bit about um, kind of symptoms and obviously this is a horrible diagnosis um, to receive if you've kind of been through all of that process and you have been told that you do have um, a brain tumour. What are your options then when they get to you at the top of the pyramid? Um, So I think once we've actually seen an MRI scan Mm -hmm. which suggests... A, a diagnosis like a horrible diagnosis like a glioblastoma mm-hmm. or even saying a, what we call as when you look at glioblastomas as such mm-hmm. that's a spectrum of disease in the sense mm-hmm. that you know when you gliomas are primary tumors of the brain mm-hmm. so I, it starts from the supporting cells of the brain and it can be graded from grade one to four and grade mm-hmm. three and four are the ones that we are more concentrating on yeah. because they are considered as the malignant or cancerous mm-hmm. you know, area and mm-hmm. grade four being the most aggressive. With with a suspicion from the images, mm-hmm. first and foremost thing that we would want to do and which has got the maximal impact on the outcome is having a surgery. Mm-hmm. So surgical resection or what we call as maximal safe resection. I'll actually let Prof explain mm-hmm. that much more because uh, that sounds way so, too technical for exactly. me. So, um, uh, cutting bits out yeah. basically. Okay. <laughs> so operation is the first and foremost treatment mm-hmm. that we would think for mm-hmm. as long as it's a it's it doesn't actually cause harm to the patient. Yes. And I think that's where the first thing we would want to mm. you know look at. If in situations there can't be an operation Mm -hmm. then we would have to fall back on other options like Mm -hmm. uh, chemotherapy and radiotherapy Mm -hmm. there Uh, and even if after the surgery we would want to think about those you know treatments Mm -hmm. as such so these are when you look at an operation followed by chemotherapy and radiotherapy is considered as the standard treatment or gold standard treatment that's available with the scientific knowledge at present Mm -hmm. now i'll probably leave it to prof to talk about this operation side Mm -hmm. of things which i've got you know no expertise on (laughs) (laughs) So I think the one thing which makes the biggest difference for glioblastoma mm-hmm. or brain cancer as we call it is surgery. Mm-hmm. The aim, the focus has shifted in the last sort of 10 years if not more mm-hmm. that the more you take out the better mm-hmm. and, and more you take out the better safely without causing harm. That's yeah. the important thing. Yeah. If you harm somebody, give them a stroke or paralysis mm-hmm. or affect them with their vision, then you have had a detrimental effect on their quality of life. Yeah. If you can't cure someone, sadly mm-hmm. this is not curable at the moment, yeah. then the essence is in maintaining their quality of life for as long as one can. Mm-hmm. So surgery has improved a lot in the last decade, I would say. Mm. Uh, there are new tools we have. Mm. Uh, there are new drugs which have come. NICE, which is the National Institute of Clinical Excellence, mm-hmm. approved a drug called 5ALA or Gliolan. Mm-hmm. where it helps the tumor glow in the dark when you do the operation. So you oh, can differentiate wow. the tumor uh-huh. from the surrounding brain. So you take the tumor uh-huh. out, don't harm the surrounding brain. Uh-huh. So that became standard of care for everyone across the country in 2019. Okay. Wow. NHS England through NIHR, which is the National Institute of Health Research, mm-hmm. have funded close to 2 million a multi-center trial, which Oxford mm-hmm. is running, mm-hmm. which is to raise the bars of surgery beyond the 5LA fluorescence I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You use other gadgets like ultrasound. Mm. You do, you look at more advanced brain imaging, which in addition to looking at the tumor, mm-hmm. shows you the nerves which are doing controlling your speech function, your mm-hmm. movement, your uh, uh, your, your uh, vision, so you mm-hmm. can see them during surgery. Ah. That trial is outgoing. It'll continue for another few years, and uh-huh. I think the results are positive. Mm-hmm it'll push the standard of care to a new level across the country. Amazing. So it doesn't matter where you have your brain tumor, where you go, everybody gets the same level of care. Mm -hmm. That's the goal. Okay. So I think on the surgical front, there are advances happening to make surgery safer Mm. for patients. And then once you get somebody through an operation where you've taken a lot of it out, Mm -hmm. they're in the best place to go on and have radio chemotherapy afterwards. Yeah. 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 That's the first initial step with with managing Mm. this. 
And I think it's un- it's important to kind of understand that journey, that it's not the same as kind of having a lump on your hand that you can just kind of very clearly see, cut out, and then you're better the next day. It's actually a whole process that unfortunately, you know, probably by the time it's been found and, you know, you've had symptoms and we've managed to diagnose it and you've gone through all of that process, that actually you will be in that process for a long time regardless of the outcome. And was that something that you guys were expecting when Amani was diagnosed? I mean, Amani was diagnosed during lockdown, so we actually got her prognosis. I remember Anna Phoney, I didn't even really know who he was or what he looked like Mm. at that time uh, on the phone. Yeah. And uh, obviously it was a big shock to us because when Amani went into hospital the night before, the consultants weren't there. Mm. Uh, although they called Yasmin in to tell her that they'd found a tumour, yeah. it didn't really mean much to us other yeah. than and your first perception is like, oh, it's just a lump, you just pick it out. Yeah. Yeah. So we weren't actually, we went to bed, although we were worried, mm. we we never heard of cancer of the brain. So we, yeah. in our mind, I went to sleep thinking, I'm going to get a phone call tomorrow and the doctor's going to say, she's got a tumour, we're going to cut it out, mm. luckily we got it, uh, you'll be fine. Yeah. So to get that phone call um you know i still remember it um of it's a complete shock and yeah. to, to be honest it doesn't really sink in for a, a long time of and course, um, it yeah it still really hasn't yeah. to be honest um you go to bed thinking you're going to wake up and everything is going to be normal mm. and it's not so mm. we were completely in the dark about mm. cancer and brain we'd only heard about cancers breast cancer bowel cancer mm. we'd mm. never heard about anything like that so mm-hmm. it was really com- utterly shocking for us mm. and then to have the prognosis that we were you know sadly you had to deliver to us was you know for your 22 year old daughter was just yeah, yeah not what we were expecting no, sure. no. of that course morning. of yeah. course and i think and we'll talk a little bit later about um kind of the importance of kind of continuing to raise awareness because like you say you know people hear of breast cancer or um you know prostate cancer or cervical cancer because they're screening programs and there's a lot kind of talk talked about or lung cancer related to smoking that kind of thing but not so much about brain cancer or maybe not so much previously maybe over the last couple of years a lot lot more um and i think do you think that's more kind of also a reassurance that actually it's it is very rare it's not something that will affect every family or every community i think you're right there if you look at all the cancers in the body and if i were to rank them this would mm. be not even among the top 10 mm. Mm. so it's so rare in some way that's good mm. news mm. but also if you look at historically the funding has always been for other cancers breast mm. cancer skin mm-hmm. cancer lung cancer yeah and it's england have now taken a view of increasing funding for brain cancer mm. over the last few years mm-hmm. And a lot of it is driven by, you know, some of the media personalities who've got it. Mm. Uh, a lot of the work both of you have also done in trying yeah. to raise awareness, yeah. and that helps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because we need to reach a point where, instead of saying it's incurable, we are mm. saying it can now be cured. I think we are yeah. far from it at the moment. Yeah, unfortunately. Mm. But, you know, it's very reassuring what you're saying about the increase in funding but also the advances that are coming with regards to the treatment and the possible treatments and kind of mitigating the risks related to that um, to the treatment yeah that, that's yeah. right because even though we still quote you know clinical trials and mm. outcome which has been done in 2008 mm. which is considered as still the standard of treatment mm. as prof was saying there's been improvement in terms of surgical techniques mm there's been a significant improvement in terms of radiotherapy techniques that's mm-hmm, being delivered. Mm-hmm. And it's it's uh, kind of around the country, mm-hmm. we use much more modern radiotherapy techniques, which can reduce the impact on the rest of the brain mm-hmm. and thereby keeping the quality of life of the patient as much as we can. Mm-hmm. But sadly, we still are in nowhere near saying that this is a curable situation. Yeah. And we've got to, we need, you know, we would need more funding, more research mm-hmm. to try and actually move a step closer to that. Yeah. And, and I, sorry, I think I think there's a danger as well. Cause always like saying it's rare because mm. it's rare until it's your family. Yeah, and, you know, and then each, it doesn't really patient, matter no. because, because it's, it's, it's a whole, affecting there's a whole family, right. there's yeah. a whole fr- yeah. friendship yeah. network yeah. surrounding of them, course. Mm. and of course. it doesn't feel like it's rare when it's mm. you. Yeah, of course, of course. Of course, and and when you look at it, 
the number of life years lost mm. is much higher yeah. when coming at brain tumors because yeah. of how it affects that person mm. and the family. Mm. Mm. And it's a very aggress- aggressive tumor, isn't it? It is. I, it's unfortunately a very aggressive cancer compared to you know, some of the other cancers where we mm. can actually quote life expectancy or survival in years. Mm. Uh, as we know, the survival is quite limited with mm. these kind of aggressive brain tumors or so brain cancers. Yeah, and you said, you know, that was the next day that you were kind of told about the prognosis, which must have been really, really difficult. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, I think we, you, then you end up doing a lot of research yeah. because yeah. you're told there's no cure. Mm. Uh, we hadn't had a decision about surgery then, mm. um, so there were still options that we were looking mm. at. So mm. we were looking, my brother-in-law and our family were looking at other options abroad and... Uh, I, I do remember spending a lot of Anoop's time showing him or, or talking to him about different mm. options. Um, I was thankful that we we, were, we had a very good experience yeah. with our, yeah. the, the doctors here. And mm. I know that um, there's a lot of pressure on their times. But um, I think Anoop tried to, in the nicest way possible, say, look, pursue any options you want. Yeah. Be careful about spending a lot of your money. Yeah. Uh, well, when we come back after the break, yeah. we'll discuss those yeah. options in a few minutes. Sure. The following program is a rerun of a previous live show. Hence, any announcements made during the repeat may now not be applicable. Any health advice given, whether general, diet, physical or spiritual, is general only and must be verified by your doctor. If you need medical advice, please consult a doctor. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to the Health and Fitness Show. I'm Dr. Amna and today we're joined by Dr. Anup Vinyan and um, Dr. Uh, Professor Paneet Blaha. Sorry, I'm having real trouble with your <laughs> name and title today. Um, as well as Amani's parents, Yasmin and Karam. And we've been talking about all things related to brain cancers and all the things you need to know. We have had some questions already come through and we've talked a little bit about um, addressing some of those and addressing the fears that um, people can have about if they're concerned that they may have a tumor, a brain tumor or somebody else in their family as well as um, some of the treatment options available. But if you do have any questions, please do text them across to 0777 Right, so just before the break, we were talking about um, the different treatment options. And unfortunately, when you hear of a diagnosis um, as kind of as severe as this and as horrible as this, um, I think it's natural to kind of be Googling and asking everyone and talking to as many people as possible about what can possibly be done. And you were talking to us a little bit about that journey for you. Yeah, I, I think because Amani was so young mm. and... Uh, before she was diagnosed, she appeared to be completely healthy. Um, you know, I think Yasmin and I and our family decided we're going to do everything we can, and yeah. we spoke to Dr. Anup, and mm. obviously he's duty-bound to give us the honest answer, whether we like it or not. Mm. And um, to be honest, the reality transpired is it, it was, you know, it was within generally those paradigms, although Marnie managed to survive a little bit longer. You just looking across to America or to mm. Europe, where there's a bit more funding or private, you know, private funding, other options, and you're always reading about the stories that couple of percent who survived, and you're hoping your child or spouse or parent even will be part of that percentage. Mm. Of course, what we realise, brain cancer is quite individualistic, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just about the grading, but there's even a spectrum in between that. Yeah. And also it depends where the tumour is and whether you can have surgery or not. And So we did look abroad, and I mm. did run everything past Anup. In, in fact, it was uh, Dr Anup who suggested 
uh, trial drug called Long Tour One. And eventually, I I went abroad uh, and to Germany to mm -hmm. to source the drug. Mm. And we believe that that, as well as the surgery that the professor did, we believe coupled with the medication, we got a bit more time with the Mani because mm. her tumor was very big. Yeah, it was I think f over five centimeters by four centimeters wow. when she was diagnosed. Yeah. Yeah. huge and mm. after the radiotherapy which didn't work it was even bigger so and then you've got all the fluid build up so mm. you, you know it did shrink I mean I think I up, it, there was a period where it did shrink for a little while and maybe Anna could explain why some tumours do that and then grow back aggressively mm. yeah, so I think um, uh, as Karim was saying these tumours are not you know unfortunately curable mm. but some people do get a response mm. where you get some shrinkage of these mm -hmm. you know with the treatment mm. and majority of the time what can what can happen in those settings is that you you give the treatment that's available to us which is considered as gold standard treatment yeah. at this point of time and you have part of these tumors which are responsive to these drugs and radiotherapy which gets killed mm. and the tumor shrinks but there is actually another part of that tumor mm. which is not responsive and yeah. eventually that starts to grow and that that is in fact the reason why the disease you know cancer grows mm. back in majority of the tumors mm -hmm. that not just actually brain tumors and again it's uh, important to kind of mention that Amani's circumstances was was a uh, you know a subtype of the brain tumor mm -hmm. which is actually getting more and more recognized now mm -hmm. where you have a specific change in the gene of the tumor right. uh, called in you know, histone mutation and mm -hmm. and that's where we knew that there was a clinical trial that was done in the US mm -hmm. um, where we were you know where the drug colong 201 was found to be useful in mm -hmm. some mm -hmm. early clinical trials so that's where we were trying to source that. Um, we wrote to the company to try and see if we can actually get that as in a compassionate basis. Mm. Unfortunately, that was not possible mm. given uh, because of the fact that there was no large trials that were done. Yeah. And, and in fact, there is actually a new clinical trial that's being, you know, starting for that specific type of the glioblastoma, uh -huh. which is going to be open in UK as well soon, uh -huh. hopefully by the middle of the year or end of the year, we'd be actually opening with the company trying to do that larger clinical trial. So, uh, and and at the same time, so the, you know, when you look at the glioblastomas per se, mm. over the last 15 years, there's only been a handful of trials which has actually shown to have some improvement in their mm. outcome. At the same time, so that's where it's really important for us as clinicians, as researchers, as a, you know, a, as a whole community, mm. we would be looking at trying to improve the research for the brain tumor. Yeah. And lots of people are, lots of groups are trying at the mm. moment, but mm. we need to carry on doing that more yeah. and more. Yeah. yeah. And it is that raising awareness through, yeah. you know, different charities kind of continuing to have. Um, these conversations and Absolutely. making sure that you know and I know that was part of Amani's legacy and she was doing a lot of that you know when she was alive and you guys have continued that amazing work um, after her death as well um, and just making sure that everyone is kind of talking about it any any thoughts I think we, you know, as Anup has said, and you mentioned, the, mm. the focus is really on trying to find new things to come through. Mm. And we are getting more funding, probably not enough, but I think more the better. Mm. We have a new trial starting in Oxford. It's called Combat GB. GB is glioblastoma. And it's looking at delivering immunotherapy in a new way for this particular tumor. Mm. So it's a novel approach, and I'm hoping it will be open by the end of the year. Mm. Uh, so one more to the basket of new things to try yeah. and find a solution here. Yeah, yeah. And I think for me as a doctor listening to this, this all sounds very reassuring and very kind of, you know, there's a lot of focus on all of the right things by the specialists in the, at the right, you know, at the right time. There is an awareness that actually this is needed. There's an awareness of exactly what is needed to be able to improve that care. But I also hear it from the side of the parents or you know somebody who is affected by um this uh this type of cancer that actually maybe that's not enough and you know we kind of need that right now and how does how does that feel i mean it's too late for us really isn't it so mm. um, the motivation for 
for Yasmin and I, mm. and even Imani's motivation, between, mm. because at the end of the day, it's very difficult to have conversations with your children about them dying. Yeah. It's almost impossible. Mm. But Imani knew, and we knew. Mm. And so when Imani was doing her fundraising, and as you know, she raised well over 100,000 yeah. so far yeah. for brain tumor research. Uh, for the research centres in Queen Mary and yeah. specifically for glioblastoma. Mm -hmm. um, she wasn't doing it for herself, she was yeah. doing it for other mm -hmm. families. Mm -hmm. And really Yasmin and I's motivation uh, is really to keep mm -hmm. Amani's name alive, mm -hmm. her legacy alive. And we don't want other families to go through what we've been through. Yeah. Um, it's impossible to describe how difficult it is to see and the brain is probably the most critical organ of the mm. body, not the heart. Seeing each faculty slowly being stripped away from your children, their ability to see properly, their ability to walk, their ability to think. Um, uh, you know, I let the professor talk about, the, uh, the doctors talk about the effects of the, the only drug that really works in stopping swelling, the brain dexamethasone. Mm. Or every faculty being stripped slowly, slowly mm. um, it is heartbreaking. And of course. Really, that's where the, I suppose the doctors can say about what they can offer in the terms of yeah. support for families going through us, because yeah. it, it's bad news usually. Yeah, you know, I think you, you've picked up on kind of three really good points that I kind of want to explore in a bit more detail. Firstly, the side effect of treatments, because I think sometimes people, like we said, you know, they know they have something, they want it cut out, they want it treated and that's it. But actually those treatments can come with a lot of risks um, and a lot of side effects that may or may not be tolerable and then uh, you also mentioned about support um, that is available and maybe what we can do if treatments aren't possible and you know what else as a clinical team we can offer um, patients but also I really want to come back to um, that conversation that really horrible conversation to have with a loved one about the amount of time that they have left which I think can sometimes be the scariest thing of all you know how do I tell my mum that you know she's dying someone's just told me how do I tell them but let's let's start off with the treatment side. so so uh, as, as I said earlier on the current treatments that we offer is mm. by using radiotherapy mm -hmm. for these brain tumors mm. and we use chemotherapy as a mm. supportive drug in the beginning along with the radiotherapy and then we continue that on and that's that you know, treatment regime has actually shown to have the maximal impact in mm. terms of delaying mm -hmm. the growth of the disease further. But as we all know, when we are actually treating, it has got an impact as well. Yeah. And that's what we've got to always think about as clinicians. Mm. What is the impact that I'm you know, creating mm. to that mm. individual patient? Mm. And what is the, when we can't cure We've got to also balance that with the quality of life mm. that we can actually leave that patient with mm. and what's that extra benefit. So it's that benefit versus that side effect that we you know, we create for these patients. Mm. And it is difficult to have those conversations, even as a clinician, to an yeah. individual patient, yeah. where we're actually saying that on balance, look, it, it may not be the right thing for you to have treatment and mm. we tend to think about concentrating on the side effects and keeping your quality of life with whatever medication that we've actually got. And and even when you look at that, those medications are limited in terms of what we can actually provide. And as Karim was actually uh, talking about, some of the things that we, what's really important for us mm -hmm. is, to, is to make sure that the family and the patients mm. do have the support in the community. Yeah. Which is a lot of the times we, you know, um, obtain that Mm -hmm. through the local team, the local hospices, the community you know, mm. palliative care team mm. who can actually support us looking at you know, their mobility. Can, can we support mm. them with their mobility mm. in terms of their speech? Mm. Can we actually support them uh, you know, in terms of managing the speech as mm. long as possible to the best of their mm. ability? If there is swelling in the brain, can we use some medications to try and actually try and reduce that swelling mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. keep that quality of life? Mm -hmm. But again, as Krim rightly pointed out there, some of these medications like have steroids that we use yeah. have got side effects. Mm -hmm. So when you're using it for a longer period, mm -hmm. that creates a lot of side effects, mm -hmm. which itself can take over. So it's looking at can we use it to the lowest dose possible mm -hmm. so that we can keep the person well is the kind of key there. 
And I can't actually indicate because the nurse specialists that we have, mm. who are the key workers for the patients, you know, play an absolutely important role in, mm. in having that mm. communication going, having mm. that support being available to that patient all the time. I think, and we need to look at, again, the funding needs to come to improve that yeah. community support in the community for these patients. Mm. That whole management, the whole not management. just about not just about the giving that radiotherapy or, or chemotherapy. Yeah, yeah. It's it's about that whole mm. support that is needed for this patient. Mm. And I think that's where you know obviously we need to look at investing and mm. improving that you know outcome. That will improve the outcome, I would say, or, or the yeah. or the journey yeah. that the patients go through. That will improve that. And yeah, not just the the patient, but everyone around them. Like you Absolutely. said, you know the whole the whole community and how yeah. they can be supported. I think it's hard. Did you mention first? You said you know to give your child and discuss dying is yeah not nature has created. Yeah. You know you you expect your children to die after you, not the other yeah. way around. So yeah. I can, you know I don't think I can imagine the pain you've been through. Mm. I think from a clinician's perspective, I would say when we see these patients in the clinic, what we can give them is time. Yeah. To rush them through is the wrong thing to do. We're under pressure in the mm. NHS, your book clinics, but for example, now we have an hour slot for somebody with a new diagnosis mm -hmm. because you need that time to give and, and then communication. Yeah. You have yeah. lots of questions. It's something out of the blue and we need to take the time to, you know, uh, give that to you. And as, as Anup had mentioned, community support makes a big difference. But what mm -hmm. I've also seen is where patients come with a lot of families supporting them, mm -hmm they do immensely better than those who sadly mm. don't have any family support. Mm. You can provide all the external artificial support, but family mm. support makes a big difference. Mm. And I could see that yeah. when looking after Amani, you know, yeah. mom and dad were there sleeping on the floor in mm. the hospital bed 24-7. Mm. I came in in the night, morning, one of them were always there. Mm. You see, that saved it all. Mm. So she has, I don't think you could have done anything better in terms of the support you gave mm. her because you were there around her, absolutely, you know, the cushion and guardian. So um, hats off it, in every sense of the way. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's important for the patients to bond with their uh, doctors as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, we like I said, we are very fortunate that the mm. two doctors we have here, you know, uh, spent a lot of time mm. and gave Amani time um you know whenever she needed the question sometimes she found it a bit overwhelming and we'd yeah, have to intervene yeah. um, but uh, we never felt that we were rushed I mm. remember obviously Anup uh, we spent a lot of time with and he would spend hours on the phone with Amani and mm. ourselves most of the questions were probably quite ridiculous but he probably heard them a thousand times before but very patiently treated us as the first time he's asking us and I still mm. remember with um the professor as well, when we, our interaction with the professor was slightly less because it was surgery based and it was mm. out of our... Uh, I remember um, before surgery, mm. he talked, uh, patiently talked us through and said, I've got, sur I've got surgery in the morning, afternoon and evening. I was thinking, when do you guys rest? <laughs> and I remember he said, are we yeah. going to do surgery on Armani the next day? Mm. And uh, I, I remember our experience in London was slightly different, that we weren't getting any communication. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I remember uh, the professor said that he's got to do surgery on Amani, probably his second or third on one of his list of how many brain surgeries he's mm. supposed to do a day. Uh -huh. And I remember he came up after surgery and uh, Yasmin and I had 101 questions for yeah. him, yeah. apart from, is, has it gone okay? Yeah. Did it work? Yeah. Did this, what now? And he, he spent, I, I think the professor spent close to an hour with us, mm. just after Amani's shunt surgery, talking us through, reassuring us mm. and we just felt safe, didn't we, for that for that little period of time? And I think it's the best the doctors can do, especially when you've got bad news, is yeah. to give that time, even though yeah. they're really pressed for time. Yeah, and, and I think you rang as soon as she'd finished her surgery as well, because obviously we were anxiously waiting. Yeah, of course. For any news, so rather than just let, making us wait until she was wheeled back into the ward, yeah, you sort yeah. Of yeah I think that was, that was you know, and I know other experiences have been very different, and my, even mm. our experience in you know in London was very different not naming mm. names but mm. we didn't get any information mm. we had to go through all this network and stuff what's going on with our daughter and that you you know as a parent you feel completely 
at a loss anyway yeah. and to not be able to communicate with the people treating your daughter or your son or whoever you know it can be you're already depressed as it is yeah. it can really drive you yeah. right down and like i said you know fortunately we are lucky to have these two doctors on yeah. our side and you know it it sounds like um you have gone above and beyond uh, not just with Amani but in general um, you know as clinicians as doctors and kind of providing that care which is obviously the thing that you remember and you yeah, know even now, in minute details you know an hour an hour a year later um, that kind of feeling and feeling supported so you know thank you for that um, but like you said sometimes people don't have that same experience um, and that's unfortunate and that might be for you know a number of reasons where you know not just kind of communication failures you know people sometimes don't get on as the kind of people maybe um, or it's a very difficult scenario and some people might think actually I want a different opinion um, or you know I want to speak to somebody else and sometimes there can be a little bit of fear from patients so I, I'm always kind of quite happy for not not that's that sounds wrong um you know if somebody has seen me and i've tried my best to reassure them that you know they don't need antibiotics for example for their cough but they're still not happy you know and I, and i've tried my best and you know but i can still feel that actually they're they're still uneasy they're still not happy with the outcome you know I always offer well you know you can see one of the other doctors today we can get that um sorted for you so that you leave feeling a bit more reassured and obviously that wasn't needed in this scenario but that's extremely important because Mm. majority of the times it's a pressure in the NHS that we have you know as I think Prof is actually privileged to have an hour to see the new patients and a lot of the times in other centres is half an hour or 45 minutes max that you get to see a new patient which is not enough yeah and it's the pressure from the in the NHS is probably what creates that lack of communication or mm. kind of minimizes that time and as a GP you would know with yeah. 10 minutes consultation <laughs> that's actually being given isn't yeah. it but what I feel always is that it, when you're delivering a, uh, any, a, a, you know, a diagnosis yeah. like this you want to put yourself you know what I would want yeah. if I'm actually sitting in that of chair course. and yeah. that's one of the you know um, uh, things that I work with mm. but at the same time as you rightly said, it is a right to the patient to have mm-hmm. a second opinion. Mm-hmm. And and we always encourage that because, and, and as I said to you before, it's absolutely important for the patient and the family mm. to be comfortable yeah. with whatever treatment your clinician yeah. is actually given. Mm. And going for a second opinion, a lot of the time patients are quite embarrassed to ask that, mm. which is actually not right. And yeah. We should be actually promoting that yeah. because as a clinician, it gives me confidence when, yes. when you go for another second opinion and comes back with, you with know, exactly, another, what exactly what you've said. You're what like, okay, yeah. that's fine. I haven't missed this whole exactly. thing. Yeah. So yeah. We're all human. Yeah. And it's yeah. always important to have that. You know, it's good to have that second you know, yeah. um, In fact, that. Professor Penny mm. was our second opinion because yeah. mm. we were unhappy in, with mm. London mm. and we, ex- we expressed that to Anup who were in mm. touch we said well why don't you get a second opinion yeah. you know yeah. and uh, uh, Dr Anup was always like that throughout his mm. he knew with our daughter being so young and the prognosis we were going to ask loads of other yeah, doctors of and we, we would even suggest look yeah. why don't you go here there everywhere very confident in his mm. own decision mm. but he knew that as parents um, and other families as well we we needed to hear that from yeah different experts yeah and yeah nobody was offended Mm. so and i think we're in a world where you have access to a lot of information on the Mm. net and otherwise Mm. and families need to be absolutely satisfied they've done everything for their loved one yeah you don't want that guilt later on and whether that everything is a second opinion or seeing somebody else or doing something else Mm -hmm. i would say encourage them Mm. you need to be satisfied you've explored everything Mm. and then you know you know despite this sadly this is what it was yeah Yeah. but at the same time it's quite important as i've mentioned previously as well to look at saying that if you look around you might see some early you know trials which has actually been done on you know uh, not done on big uh, clinical trials as such or there might be people who would actually promise the world to you but i think just be you know making sure that whatever you're reading in the internet is 
not yeah. always true and not yeah. always applicable yeah. to you. Yeah. And that's that's difficult. I mean, I ca I can't even I I can't imagine what you guys have gone through um, from a kind of a personal level, from a family level, um, and you know, seeing your daughter go through that. But also, even from a clinician point of view, you know, I I can't even imagine the impact that this has on you guys as doctors every single day. You know, needing to have these really difficult conversations, sometimes knowing that actually, you know we can do all of these treatments but actually the outcome will not be good and it may be you know in only a couple of weeks time yeah i think it's important to sadly it's an incurable disease you have yeah. two outlooks to it one yeah. is it's incurable i'll do whatever i can and at the end it's not good or you you have that passion to say let me do my best to yeah. do what i can mm. and then nature takes its course in yeah. what way so yeah. I, i think if you have that sort of attitude the disappointment at the clinician is less because you've given your best mm. i can sleep well at night i've given yeah. my best yeah if i do it at another day in my office and come and go then i'm not doing my job properly yeah. so uh, and 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 sometimes it's difficult you know you you despite what the medical fraternity says sometimes you get attached to families of course. you know there's a yeah. living example here yeah. i now know them beyond where i treated them yeah yeah and but i suppose at the end of the day we are still humans yeah so so that human touch does play in and then yeah. you just accept it and i have mm -hmm. over the years sadly and for the good i would say number of patients and their families i've bonded very well mm -hmm. uh, and now at a personal level yeah but that's part of life i would say and and um, and in some way if you take a personal interest in it mm. you then do your best for them as well yeah Thank you. That's very nice. Yeah. I mean, we don't carry any guilt as a family. Yeah. Uh, on the 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 medical side because mm. we felt mm. a we tried everything and we felt supported by our doctors and every avenue was explored. So we don't carry that trauma on top of the other trauma. Our trauma is just um, learning yeah. to cope with yeah. losing our daughter and yeah. learning to yeah. adjust to our new family family dynamics um, and of not course. seeing her there every morning yeah. and missing her. Yeah. But from the clinical side, we were really happy and grateful. And I think you know the show is about to end because I've looked at the timing wrong again. But um, if everyone listening could please um, just read Surat Al-Fatiha for um, Amani and for everyone else who has lost their lives to this um, horrible disease, and I just want to say thank you to everyone um, for joining us today, and thank you specifically to Dr. Vinyan and Professor Plaha for uh, being here. And we will post all the links of all the ways that you can support um, this research. Research. Assalamualaikum. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.